Thanks for stopping by Reader House Author Roundtable. I'm Alice Stockton Rossini. Let's talk about guns, all right? Have a nice, honest discussion about guns. Check out Greg J. Gardner. He supports the Second Amendment. He loves his guns, but believes they're too easily accessible. And the thought of what could happen if America's guns fell into the wrong hands inspired him to write his book, Black Friday, An American Jihad. I'm a gun nut. I like my guns, but I also feel like we have a problem in this country. Guns are far too easy to buy. And so this idea has kind of grown ever since the September 11th attacks to what it, you know, what Black Friday became. So in Black Friday and American Jihad, it seems that you imagine another 9-11. Pretty much. What I imagine is how easy that would be to happen. September 11th, they had to learn how to fly planes. Well, I, I fly planes and that's not the easiest thing to do. In my book, they come by guns which is extremely easy for anyone to do in the, in the U.S. They attack Walmarts simultaneously, 25 different Walmarts across the country. Why Walmart? Uh, well, it's Black Friday. What better place to have a large group of people gathered together in one place at one time than Friday morning after Thanksgiving? So it's the book is unique. It's got no main character, and that is by design. I feel like the main character is... The American people, it's it's us, it's everyone. So the story bounces around uh, across the country following different people, and nobody appears for more than two or three pages. And we follow different groups of people across the country and their reaction to additional attacks, because I think it's fairly realistic in that some of the attacks are hugely successful because they're in rural areas of North Carolina where a lot of people aren't carrying guns and other attacks are not so successful because they're in more metropolitan areas of Texas where everybody carries guns. So some of the attackers, the terrorists, continue on to other attacks and they've got this very well laid out plan where they leave the first walmart and they go to a second site a home depot or lowe's where people are going to be shopping on black friday from there what's the one thing that we all do when there's a snowstorm or an emergency in the u.s we we flock to grocery stores and that's the third wave of their attack is to attack grocery stores across the country. But the story really follows the American people's response to it and how it it initially tears us apart and puts us at each other's throats. We become very divided and there's a turning point that we realize if we want to battle this enemy, we've got to come together and we can't fight amongst ourselves. We have to work as one to kill our enemies. Definitely not a feel-good story. It's not a feel-good, happy ending. Uh, I mean, ultimately, things work out, but you know there are questions left, and it did not end where I wanted it to, but books don't tend to do what you want them to always. It ended where it ended, and even I had questions, but that's just how the book ended. And unless you write, it's hard to understand how that can be, but it just is. Like I said, I'm a gun nut. I support the Second Amendment 100%. I love my guns. I think everyone should be able to buy them. But I think it's far too easy for them to be acquired because 
one of my AR-15s, I literally met someone in a Walmart parking lot to buy that weapon. And the sad thing is that's 100% legal. Um, and it shouldn't be. That should not be the case. Although it is, it shouldn't be. And, you know, that's why I think we have such a problem in this country, not because we have guns, but because they're so easily accessible. Well, Greg, you raised some extremely important issues that I think we all need to think about. And I thank you for that. You have a great idea, but you don't know where to begin. That's where Stephen Smith comes in. He did quality control for a pharmaceutical company before he retired to North Carolina, where he decided to share what he's learned trying to invent and market products. The name of his book, The Inventor's Journey, Three Strikes, I'm in. So what kind of products are we talking about? So I'm a vivid uh, beach goer. Me and my wife, we go down to Myrtle Beach a lot. So through all these ideas, this is one of the ones I came up with. We were out on the beach and my battery was slow on my phone. So I started thinking as inventory too, and lo and behold, I came up with this part that would actually charge your phone using solar energy without having to actually go and plug the phone in at the time. So through these ideas, I decided to uh, write my book with the purpose of helping others who didn't know which direction to go when it came to inventing ideas or coming up with different, uh, different ideas. And, and how to protect yourself from copycats and things like that. Exactly. The book also is, uh, was written to give others uh, the idea of creating your desires and going after them. You're giving someone the, the vision and the idea to go after your dreams. You don't just sit there and let it rest. And you keep yourself later saying, I should have done this. You know, I, I would have been further and where I am today. Do you go out and speak about this? I, I have, as a matter of fact. I, I've spoken to people about it. And, you know, the idea of, of going after your vision, and then a lot of people have said, well, you know, I, I don't have really the finances to, to do this. And I, I tell them, don't worry about the finances right away. I said, because it should, if you have an idea, if you don't have the idea, and what do you, you don't have anything to pay for anyway. Come up with the idea, create the idea, then go after the, the finances or whatever it's going to take to develop your, your product or your, your idea. If I have done book signing, I am trying to push the book and hopefully get it in the this local store, Walmart, you know, it's on Barnes and Noble and Amazon, trying to get it in the stores as, as we speak. All right. Well, I, how's the battery doing? It's doing good. It's it's selling. It's selling. Um, I right now I'm also in the process of uh, of uh, building my inventory for for other products, other phones, and other products. But uh, if you do, if you get the chance, go on the website and you'll see uh, the actual product. That's again, it's batteryjustincase.com, right. and uh, you'll see what you'll see the product. All right, we'll check that out. Thanks, Stephen. Karen Minot runs a guest house in New York City, and she's always been a writer, even did some ghostwriting before she was asked to write a book about an amazing human being. It is entitled Faniel.
daughter of a prophet. So Samuel, her children are actually family friends. And they were like, listen, our mom is getting a little bit older. She has had an, a, com- a completely amazing life. And we just want someone to sort of record her stories and record her life. And I took it on as a joy, as a labor of love. So it's a biography. Um, Faniel is from Jamaica, born in Jamaica, and she is a missionary and evangelist. She started out life as kind of the daughter of a subsistence level farmer. And she um, had to face incredible amounts of adversity, being poor and in a poor country. And through faith and just who she is as a person, she was able to overcome all of the major kind of adversity in her life. Faniel being a woman of faith, the story is told from her perspective, and we deal a lot with the miracles, in fact, that she experienced in life. When, when you say miracles, give me an example. Incidences of healing, um, which they consider miraculous. Her dad had a stroke because basically he was totally stressed out. Being a subsistence level farmer, they had um, a period of time where their crops were destroyed. And they were looking at kind of hunger for the children. He was paralyzed on one side for five months. And then he recalls praying and really asking the Lord to heal him. And that miraculous healing took place. All of a sudden, he felt this warmth go up the paralyzed side of his body, and he was able to walk again. So these are the kinds of stories that they've experienced. It's almost like she's a modern-day saint. I actually think her life is a fantastic representation of what actually happened in the 20th century. There were many all over the world, poor people, many people who were who were non-white, who made incredible strides during the 20th century. And so that's actually one of the other stories in the book. We think that the people who would be most interested in this book are women because it's actually a woman's story um, because so many of the challenges that came to her that, that she faced, poor women all over the world and also obviously kind of Christian communities and Christian circles. So we started like marketing to churches, kind of church educational kinds of bodies. And it's also a powerful immigration story because she was an immigrant to the United States and the tremendous contributions that her children have made to this country. So all around, it's just a fantastic life in terms of um, powerfully motivational. And you're so lucky that you were chosen to write this book. Very inspiring, Karen. Thanks. Kevin Conzo was a cop for 15 years and a college security director in Washington State before he retired to go into finance and writing. In 2014, a car accident killed his six-year-old son and his life forever changed. It also made him think about fulfilling his lifelong dream to publish his book entitled Thin Blue Line. Basically, um, there's a, a police officer, his name is Derek Reed, and he works in a small town police department in uh, eastern Oregon, and uh, the community is about 12,000 people, and it's called Baker City. And um, he is uh, he plays for the A-team on the police department, and what I mean by that is, you know, he's very popular with other officers and in the community itself. And um, he has a tragedy of his own where his son is murdered, which being such a small community, he obviously struggles with the fact that this could happen to him in his own community. 
and uh, his marriage basically falls apart, and his wife, tragically, ends up committing suicide. And he gets suspended, basically, from a police force because he tried to insert himself into the investigation, which is a big no-no. And it takes him about three months to go through the psychological assessment to get his job back. Once he does, he, you know, basically takes it upon himself to, to, to find the perpetrators of the incident, uh, the, the murder, and he commits an act of vengeance. And that basically just incites in him a thirst for more vengeance, and he just can't satisfy that thirst. Detective Brasco, he's also the other main character, probably 50-50% between the two characters, who's, who's the main one or not. But D- Detective Brasco is nearing retirement, and, you know, he sees these young officers, and he tries to take Eric under his wing, but he's also leading the investigation into a series of uh, kidnappings in the area. And he's divorced and struggling with career-ending issues, you know, um, not bad career-ending issues. I mean, like, just, you know, seeing the younger officers come on and your time's nearing a close and um, what what he has accomplished in his career and how he compares that with, you know, other, you know, officers in the field and his struggles as well. So it's a crime thriller. And I would say the unique thing about the blue crimes is the fact that we all know who did it right from the, like almost the beginning. It's like two roads in the you know anticipation of them intersecting and how that will turn out that you know keeps the reader turning the pages. All right, Kevin. You know, nice you could put your experience as a cop into a nice juicy piece of fiction. All right, good luck with that. D.T. Christian is a mother of three in Springfield, Missouri. She loved writing in high school, but never thought about being published until the spirit moved her to write Fount of Blessings. It's basically a personal testimony of triumph over tragedy, really. It is a true story. Details some traumatic struggles that I've had to face in my life. Things like chronic depression and anxiety as well as uh, childhood sexual and emotional abuse. But the best part is the remarkable way that God's given me victory over it all. And my hope is that readers will be encouraged by my story and even find inspiration to overcome trials in their own life with God's help. It is hard to believe, but it's possible for a person to keep secrets from themselves. You don't consciously remember but at the same time, you're still struggling with some of the pain and the anguish. And when actually my oldest child became the age that I was when the worst thing happened to me, I started having memories come back during dream time. And I definitely hit extreme depression and started feeling suicidal. And so I went to a psychologist who worked with image therapy, and um, I started putting the pieces together. I was molested by my first grade teacher, and a couple years later was raped by um, a neighbor boy. And um, I had some sort of memories of this neighbor boy, 
propositioning me, but I just told myself I said no and turned my back and nothing happened. So that was even more interesting because I did have some memory, but then had blocked out the worst of it. The first memory with my teacher, I had blocked out my entire first grade year, which is one sign that you may have a traumatic background if there's, you know, a certain period in your life that you can't remember anything. And I think the best part of it is the image therapy and just the things that came out of my subconscious. And I feel like God worked with me in that. Um, I mean, my hope is to inspire others uh, to overcome trials in their own lives with God's help. I'm amazed at what God did. And I'm amazed at how what he was doing before I was even aware of it, how he was helping me as that first grader. And like I said, I had some trials before my repressed memories came up. And and it turns out that if I had not gone through those trials, which each of those I thought was the worst thing that could ever happen to me, I wouldn't have survived the actual repressed memories. I probably would have um, taken my own life. So it's an amazing process. I, I just want people to know um, and hopefully be encouraged um, how about how God can work in our lives and that we can be freed from all that um, trauma in our past and struggles. So far, what I've done is I have been sharing my life testimony with uh, several recovery groups uh, around our area, um, Celebrate Recovery especially, and that's a way of reaching out to people who are there because they're struggling and maybe if they connect with something that I've shared um, they might be interested in, you know, reading the book further, and that might be more help for them. That just shows you what kind of person you are, DT. Thank you so much. David Servin is a working artist who paints and writes while his manager job at a local movie theater pays the bills. He honed his writing skills at San Francisco State a couple years ago, and now he's published his first book. It's entitled The Coven Wars. Um, I actually started writing this book when I was in high school. Okay. Uh, the whole way it came about was kind of funny. I would have these dreams about these movies I thought I saw, and I would tell them to my friends, and they'd be like, I've never seen that, and that's also not a movie that's ever been made. It, it'd be like such a vivid thing that felt real, and I was like, I should probably write these down. <laughs> I needed to write my own hero because I needed someone to look up to, and that's what I think Damien Jacoby, who's the main character, he ends up being that hero that I needed because he wakes up one day from a whole normal life and it's like flipped upside down and he has to choose between saving the world he's a part of or destroying it altogether and becoming something else. It's like it's an alternate timeline. Uh, if you think about it that way, where magic exists and vampires are real, um, he's confronted by all these different creatures that he's never met before and he has to learn to adapt and try to survive them. And all the while he's trying to grow up being semi-normal. But he sees um, things that other people don't see. He does have some special abilities that have never been seen before in the world of the anomalies. That's what I call them. Well, you say, you know, I see a werewolf sipping a latte, a witch walking her dog, a vampire playing with his son. This is what he sees, but do I see normal people? So if you're a human, all you see is normal people in front of you because you never had to confront those things but the anomalies they can tell who else is an anomaly along with the humans 
So they try to blend in as well as they can because previously there was a war where the humans tried to wipe them out and they had to learn to blend in. And so Damien comes into this point, he's only 16, 17 years old, and he has to stop this world from coming apart at the seams because all the anomalies want to come back and be in power like they used to be. So he he's lived as a human his whole life. And then he's suddenly thrown into the world of the anomalies. And he has to decide if he wants to bring the anomalies out or kind of keep them hidden. The change that's happening is actually happening to Damien along the way because he doesn't get to stay normal. So he actually ends up turning into a vampire and the change that he's going through is such an intense amount of pain, like pins and needles stabbing at you, your whole body's changing inside and out, and you're awake through it all, which is kind of the bad part about becoming a vampire. Growing pains as you have it. <laughs> a metaphor for growing pains. Exactly. Because I did write it when I was in high school, and I felt very lonely, and I thought I was ex- experiencing all these things, and nobody else to experience in them. So I want people to be able to read this book and, wow, I'm not alone. I've gone through a lot of these similar feelings and just didn't know how to explain them to other people because I'm like an inclusivity kind of person. I want people to understand that they're never alone. They always have someone to reach out to. And if people read this book and take something away like that, that's all I ever want. All right, David, thank you. Mr. Bill lives in Germantown, Tennessee, where for 35 years, when he has a thought, he writes it down. And now he's got enough for a book entitled Inspirations, a collection of poetry, prose, and ponderance. This book has uh, no scriptures in it. It has a more of a modern-day theme. Jesus is in it lots, and it's a religious book, but it's more modern. And you think about a person has a problem today, they can go read a scripture, but it doesn't really satisfy them altogether. I'm trying to put in this book thoughts that would make them think about what pain they have and how they can get relief and have a better day. Can you give me an example of something I might find? Well, Lord, lead me home. It kind of tells you how you might be living today and how you could follow him and he would lead you home. Do you want to read something to me? Yeah, I can. This was entitled Criticism. Have you ever wondered why someone is critical of you? Could it be your books, your looks, your size, your actions, or words have a deficiency? Or could it be just don't mean their opinion or what they think they should be? It seems some people think they are no best, and they want you to listen to every word they say, every cruel word. As they smile and say, it is for your own good. But why would anyone know what is best for you? Could it be they think they are more important or smarter? Or maybe they think to heaven stay, they live a little closer to heaven. You are God's child. If you do wrong, let God tell you so. Do not criticize another when it's just to satisfy your mind. Everyone has their own opinion, and everyone must create their own dominance. Criticize we must from time to time. But when we do, we must make sure our words are building blocks and not words used to put down and hurt, like throwing rocks. Don't let your feelings spill out on someone else when you feel like criticizing another human being. Remember to look at them as God does, through eyes of love he's seeing. Criticism is not for you. That's one. 
So I just had this feeling that Jesus was wanting me to put this in book form. He's given me these thoughts, and I put them down. And I think he wanted me to put them in book form so that he could express his feelings through me in hopes that someone would read it and have a better day. Very nice, Mr. Bell. Thanks for the reading. Finally, Marilyn Mesler is a real estate appraiser in California who misses Georgia every day for the last six years. And therein lies the story she tells in her book, Confessions of a Century-Old Bulimic. This is something that happened in my family. Traumatic for me. My mother had given the farm that my daddy had promised all four of us to just the boys behind our backs. And it just upset me so bad. I just decided to write my life story. Okay, so it's called Confessions of a Half-Century-Old Bulimic. Yes. It's a true story about my life. I grew up on a farm in Sandersville, Georgia. Two girls, two boys, mom and dad. Went to church every Sunday, and I was I was overweight growing up. I, I just never could shake it till I got in the, the summer coming out of the 10th grade, and that's when I began to lose weight. My dad just gave me so much praise about it. was so proud of me. I started getting dates, and that's when my life changed. I went to college, to the University of Georgia. And that, that's when the bulimia started, when, when I, my first year in college. And when I got to college, I mean, I went from being a small-town farm girl, and then they put me in a dormitory, gave me a checking account. I was free. to do anything I wanted to do, and I just about did. I started dating this young man that uh, lived on the lake. He was a big skier, water skier. Uh, we'd go to the lake every afternoon after classes. We'd ski. We'd come back into town. I was just ravenous, and we always went to McDonald's to eat after that. And I started noticing I was gaining weight back. There was no way I was that I was going backwards. So I just figured out a way. It just kind of, well, I can still eat, have fun, do everything everybody else does, and get rid of it, and live the life I want to live. Originally started, you know, you put your finger down your throat, but after a while, I got so good at it. All I'd have to do is just use my stomach muscles. You know, I wouldn't have to do that anymore. Every time you ate, you would throw up. Yes, basically. I would get to a certain point that I liked and I could maintain it, but I would never get to the point of being anorexic. I mean, right now I'm like 118 and five, eight and three quarters. You don't still do this, right? Uh, I do occasionally. It never did leave me. I was in and out of two different um, rehab centers for alcohol and bulimia. I never would stay the four months. I was just, I, I couldn't stand being bound and trapped like that. I, I guess I played doctor to myself. I thought two, two weeks was enough, and I'd get out, and that was it. And I just never stayed the full treatment either time. A lot of things happen with the alcohol that I think could help people before they ever get into it, or and, and with the bulimia. You know, help somebody else to, to never go as far as I did. You know, that'd be great. Marilyn, I can't think of a better reason to write a book than a desire to help someone else. And in the process, what often happens is the author gets help too. You know, we've heard from so many writers who suffered a traumatic event. And one of the ways that they deal with it is they're encouraged to write it down, think about it, analyze it. And in the process, they feel better about themselves and they help someone else. I mean, what's better than that? Win-win. I'm Alice Stockton-Rossini for Reader House Author Roundtable.